Disrupting Japan, Episode 79. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Justa. Now, I've known the team at Justa for years, and I've been recommending them long before they became a sponsor. Justa is really the only recruiting site that gets bilingual startups. Whether you're looking for American engineers or Japanese sales staff or the other way around, Justa can help you out. Unlike recruiting companies, they are priced to be very startup friendly, and unlike job boards, they're an active part of the startup community here, and they're trusted by some of the best talent Japan has to offer. So drop by justa.io and see what they're about. Welcome to Disrupting Japan, straight talk from Japan's most successful entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for joining me. One of the most important problems with the Internet of Things is not the Internet, or even the things. The problem lies in connecting those things to the Internet. In fact, much of the promise of the Internet of Things is based on the idea of thousands of connected devices working together. It turns out that building the hardware and writing the software has proven to be much simpler. Than developing an affordable, scalable, and secure network that enables these devices to communicate with home base and with each other. Some applications use Wi Fi, and that's a great solution for stationary devices that operate in homes or offices or anywhere else where you can be certain to have a connection. But many devices are mobile or need to operate where there might not be a Wi Fi connection. Some applications pair with cell phones, and that works well for personal devices and wearables and things we'll carry around with us. But for things like sensors and inexpensive autonomous devices, well, having a cell phone plan for each of them is simply cost prohibitive. So, right now, connectivity is the real problem for a lot of Internet of Things applications. Well, Soracom has a solution, and a damn good one, in my opinion. Today, we sit down with Ken Tamagawa, CEO of Soracom, to talk about their solution, which involves slicing up mobile bandwidth and using Amazon Web Services as their backbone. And this enables a pay as you go remote communication package for pennies a day. We also discuss Soracom's global ambitions. Soracom is one of the few Japanese startups to raise a round of more than $20 million, and a lot of that is targeted on their global expansion. Soracom has something that is truly unique, and you'll be hearing more about Soracom in the years to come, but Ken tells that story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get straight to the interview. Some of Japan's largest companies are starting open innovation programs and actively reaching out to global startups. They're new at this, and that's where Crew, with two W's, comes in. Crew runs corporate startup accelerators for companies like Toyota and Panasonic and dozens more. And these programs are one of the best ways to jumpstart your business in Japan. Many are open to global startups, and they're completely free. Now, I've known and worked with the Crew team. And they're probably doing more than anyone to bridge the gap between corporate Japan and global startups. So drop by crew with two W's dot ME slash four hyphen startups and get started. I'm sitting here with Ken Tamagawa of Soracom. 
And Soracom is a communications platform for Internet of Things devices, but you can explain it much better than I can. Mm -hmm. So what is Soracom? Okay, so Soracom offers the IoT connectivity platform. So basically, uh, many IoT solutions and or devices need uh, connectivity, sending uh, data to the uh, cloud. I noticed like, when I uh, was working for Amazon Web Services uh, before you know, I founded Soracom, and many, many customers wanted to send data to the AWS cloud, but uh, there is no idea of connectivity yet. So uh, we built connectivity platform on top of the AWS, and that is Soracom. Okay. You're operating what's called a mobile virtual network, right? So it's not, for example, many developers will use, they'll use a mobile phone as a connectivity device. But what you guys are doing is something very different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So on a technical level, what's, what's happening? So that many people are wondering how we are providing, you know, that kind of cloud-based connectivity at the MVNO, Mobile Virtual Network Operator. So let me talk about the uh, overview of this industry first. Telecom operators such as the NTT Docomo and other you know, uh, big giant players, they usually have many, many base stations or cell towers. And it's gonna be the, I think, maybe 100,000 cell towers in Japan. They need to invest a lot of money to the uh, cell towers, right? And also, they need to have a big data center to host telecom core network system. It's uh, usually very expensive. Oh, sure. It's a, it's a massive capital investment. Right, right. That's why any, almost any country are only going to have two or three right. cell operators. Right. Obviously, we cannot do that uh, as a startup. But uh, we found a way to provide cellular connectivity as MVNO. There is a way called uh, layer to connection to the uh, telecom operator. So uh, we contracted with the entity Docomo, and then we got a layer to connection. So in that setup, basically we are borrowing uh, cell towers, but uh, we are ho hosting you know, our telecom core network system uh, by connecting those cell towers uh, with the physical network line to the AWS cloud. When you're operating a virtual network, are you paying a fixed fee monthly or yearly to operate this network on top of Docomo, or are you paying on like a SaaS basis on a uh, per packet or something like that? Yeah, yeah. this is kind of like a secret though. Oh, okay. but, uh, <laughs> actually, <laughs> you that can is tell like me. already opened in the you know, uh, website. Uh, let me talk about that secret. Uh, we are paying the uh, bandwidth fee to the entity Docomo based on the bandwidth per month. In that way, we borrow the uh, cell tower part from the NTT Docomo. Okay, so that's perfectly aligned with your, your business model. So right. your, your costs only go up as your, yeah. your users and their use go up. Right, so there are several MVNOs uh, using that layer to connection. U uniqueness of us is usual MVNO player. So they use like a layer to connection and then they borrow the data center and they buy the uh, hardware appliance of a telecom core network. They need to invest, I think, um, 20 million USD for that part, you know, hardware appliance and data center. But in our way, uh, we use AWS Cloud, and then, you know, we build telecom core network in the software 
on the AWS cloud. That's you know our uh, core competency. And so that way, obviously, since your costs are based on usage, you can you can price this Oracon product that way to your users. Right. So. What does it cost for an Internet of Things developer to get started on Soracom? So uh, we try to be very open and programmable and pay-as-you-go model like AWS. So uh, we sell a SIM card in Amazon.com and also our direct web channel. Once our customer get a SIM card, uh, we charge 10 yen per day. So okay. basic usage fee is very cheap. So even they continue to use for a month, and it's gonna cost uh, 300 yen. It's about three dollars, and also the we charge a data amount. So it's a kind of a pay-as-you-go model. You know, every month we calculate. You know how much data they send. There's so much great stuff happening in IoT these days. And it can be hard to really understand how a platform is used. So let's, let's dive into a couple of use cases that I know are taking advantage of what Soracom has to offer now. So you're working with Japan Taxi mm-hmm. on an mm-hmm. ad delivery system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, before, you know, uh, talking about the Japan Taxi, um, if you look at uh, our customer base, uh, within one year after our launch, uh, we already have like 5,000 customers which include like enterprise to uh, small and medium business and also startups across the industries too. So Japan Taxi is very interesting customer. They uh, put tablets in the back seat of the taxi and uh, they distributed advertisement movie for the customers. So it was interesting, uh, you know, every customer average taxi ride 18 minutes I heard from the Japan taxi okay. and in the taxi. So it's like a, a good space they provide the advertisement movies, right? So usually those uh, advertisement movies are updated weekly or you know, two weeks. So uh, they need to have a way to distribute latest uh, advertisement movie. Okay. Then they use Soacom. And especially they use like a night time to uh, distribute advertisement movie. We have like a cheaper price. Also, oh, the, the rates are different at different times of exactly. day? Exactly, yeah. Oh, okay. So they uh, take advantage of that timing. Okay, so instead of having a data plan and a connectivity plan for each individual Android tablet, they just connect to Soracom at less than a tenth the price mm-hmm. and update the ads from a central location. Right. Excellent. And let's see, what else? SafeCast mm-hmm. is a very interesting project because right. they didn't start out with Soracom, mm-hmm. but they converted over last year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are providing a, a radioactive sensor mm-hmm. device. Mm-hmm. And basically, they sell that uh, devices to the volunteer. And then volunteer place that to their house or, you know, any location. Right. And automatically, those devices, you know, sensing the radiation and they upload that to the crowd. And for our overseas listeners, mm-hmm. uh, after the earthquake and tsunami mm-hmm. in 2011 and the problems at the Fukushima nuclear power plant, a lot of people in Japan didn't trust the government right. numbers when they announced the radiation. Mm-hmm. So SafeCast was this grassroots, bottom-up citizen monitoring program. Exactly. Where they 
made these radiation monitors, distributed them all over Japan. And how did they, how did they link up these monitors before using SORACOM? Uh, so they uh, used to use Wi-Fi. But uh, you know, sometimes you know, they don't have Wi-Fi in the place. They want to put uh, you know, sensors. And also, it kind of like, uh, takes time to set up the Wi-Fi. But if they use cellular, so they can place anytime as long as you know, cellular connectivity is available. That's uh, the reason you know, they like Soracom. And also, Soracom provides a web console uh, to check the status of connectivity. And also, the, we provide like an API. Safecast can use those API to control those Safecast devices. Right, so yeah, they'll, they'll know what's online, what's not online, mm-hmm. and they could take one offline when they needed right, to. Right. Why, why would they want to take one offline? Right now, you know, they create the global versions of Safecast, which include the, you know, not only cellular, but also, you know, LoLa mm-hmm. uh, connectivity too. And their plan is to utilize better connectivity in the various situations. For example, if the LoRa connectivity is available, that device is using you know, LoRa. But if not, they use cellular. So in that time, you know, uh, they might want to deactivate uh, cellular connectivity. Right, to save the money, they don't need it, mm-hmm, so don't mm-hmm. use it. Are there any other applications being used now that you think are a really good use of SoraCon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my favorite uh, you know, use case is Tokachi Bus. They are a local bus company in the Hokkaido area. It's like a northern area of Japan. You know, they have a lot of uh, snows, right? So uh, they put SoraCon into all of the buses and then you know, sending, sending the location data of bus to the crowd and they provide a smartphone application to the customer. And so customer can use the route finder system uh, by using like a bus location. So for example, you know, the customer you know, uh, want to go to a place and they can search which bus they should take. And also that you know, uh, information is uh, reflected uh, based on the real location. Um, if the bus is delayed due to the snow, the customer can get that uh, notice. It tells people where the buses are and, mm-hmm. and the best route based on reality rather than the exactly. schedule. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Another example is uh, Lakten. So Lakten has a credit payment system called uh, Lakten Eddy. And they use Soracom for the uh, Lakten baseball game. They are selling like a uh, BRI. Right. So those you know, people have a credit payment terminal with Soracom. So uh, they can do the credit payment anywhere. And also, usually baseball game is only in the weekend. So they can save money for the weekday. Ah, okay. So they deactivate it when they're right. not using it. Yeah, they are the model. So. Excellent. Well, let's, let's talk a bit about, about you. Mm-hmm. So we first met back when you were working at AWS. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now I was at Engine Yard. Right. Times change. <laughs> <laughs> Times change, yes. Before AWS, you, you went to the University of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Um, you got an advanced degree in the U.S. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start a company? Was this something you always wanted to do? Uh, well, uh, it's um, kind of like a long, long story, I think. Yeah, we have time. <laughs> so let me talk about uh, my career background. So I graduated uh, from uh, Tokyo University with a master's degree of the mechanical engineering and also the virtual reality. 
I started my career in IBM research. First research project I was working on was Watchpad, wearable computing project, which is the you know, most cutting edge product in IBM research, uh, which has a, a accelerometer, fingerprint sensor. So it was like the Apple Watch before the Apple exactly. Watch. Exactly, it was like a 2000, so uh, oh. 17 years ago. <laughs> and which is like, a, I think like a too much advanced of its time. They couldn't bring it to market at a price exactly. that could sell it? Yeah, yeah. One day, you know, my boss assembled us and to announce, you know, this project is cancelled. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, uh, you know, surprising for me. And in retrospective, um, IBM you know, management team decided to sell a ThinkPad team to Lenovo, right? right? And that project was funded by a ThinkPad team. So naturally, you know, our project was uh, cancelled uh, because right. you know, we uh, lost the research fund. Um, but uh, that, you know, experience is, uh, taught me uh, if I want to bring our product to the market, I need to know more about the, you know, uh, management and sales and marketing. So I moved to the uh, sales division and worked on the uh, software. And then, you know, I got the company scholarship from IBM. And then I went to the uh, Carnegie Mellon to work on the MBA and also uh, MSc, Master of Software Engineering. That was uh, 2006. So it's the uh, same year Amazon started uh, AWS. So then my friend started using AWS. It was amazing, you know. When I uh, first touched AWS, that was, you know, incredible you just click a button and then you can get like a server instantly and i felt like you know world is changing yeah right but um i was uh, sponsored by ibm so i need, needed to go back to japan so i went back to japan and i think like i worked in the uh, software group for two years and then one day i got a call from a headhunter he he told me amazon is gonna start AWS business. Why don't you start a business? Oh my God, I want to do that. Right? <laughs> but uh, there was a pitfall. I had like, a contract with IBM. If I you know, leave within five years of my graduation, uh, I need to pay back all of the tuition. Sure, because they, yeah. they paid for all the exactly. college and everything. Yeah, that amount was like $100,000. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I paid that money to IBM Really? Then, yeah, uh, joined the AWS. So you really wanted, you really believed in this AWS vision? Yeah, yeah, because like, I really like that democratizing computing resources. So because, you know, I, I, I was lucky, I, I was in the IBM research. For me, it's easy to get like a super computing resources. But uh, most of people don't have a way to, you know, use right. those, you know, latest technology. But the kind of like, AWS, you know, democratizing uh, computing resources. So if you have like, any good idea, you can you know, launch server quickly and then start it, right? Yeah. It's allowed like a small start. So naturally, many, many innovative startups demonstrating their powers, mainly from the US, I think. So Dropbox, Instagram, Uber, Airbnb, you know, many, many technology startups. I, I think it really made it easy for it decreased the cost of starting a company. You could, 
you could try try it and see for a hundred dollars. Right, right. Yeah. So I really like the nature of the AWS business, kind of empowering you know developers and people. So I put all of my effort to uh, AWS business. So I joined AWS as a technical evangelist. I think I delivered like more than 160 presentations <laughs> in 2011. So every day I you know, yeah, out yeah, gave a speech. And, you know. Luckily, I think uh, right now, AWS business in Japan expanded uh, successfully. I guess the yearly revenue is beyond uh, 1 billion USD in Japan. So that's amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, within you know, six years, you know. But unfortunately, uh, there is no single startup from Japan using AWS going global and very, you know, uh, technically innovative you know, product or services. Mm-hmm. No, right? So that's like, uh, I felt really bad because I was a technical evangelist <laughs> and that's kind of like my job to create innovative startup. Then one day, I had a beer with a current CTO in the Seattle because we had a business trip to Seattle. We kind of got very excited to talk about, you know, what kind of a mission critical system can run on the AWS. And one, you know, very interesting idea is, you know, running telecom core network, which is very mission critical. Yeah. And on the AWS cloud, we felt, you know, maybe we can make it, right? But the most of people don't think. So that is like a really big opportunity. Mm. So then I went back to hotel. I had a jet lag. So I made like a, some uh, fictitious press release, and which is saying, you know, uh, we build telecom core network in software on AWS cloud. And we provide like a very inexpensive, open, pay-as-you-go, uh, connectivity on the AWS class. But, uh, so your, your imaginary press right, release. Right, right. Then next morning I woke up, I read it, and it uh, seems like it's not fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the beginning of this welcome. Okay. But your background is in technical research. You had the expertise of teaching people about the correct architecture on the cloud. So I can understand from an engineering point of view, you mm-hmm. seeing the opportunity. But so far, your whole career has been working in very large companies. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to actually go out and start this company? Well, I, I, I don't know <laughs> the reason, but uh, you are right. I'm, I'm a researcher uh, in the enterprise company. I just pursue the passion in the technology, but uh, nobody made a Solacom, so I need to do that, right? That's, yeah. That's the thing. <laughs> what, what, did your, what did your friends and your family think? Mm-hmm. Were they supportive? Were they surprised? Yeah, this is very interesting. Like, uh, in Japan, after I founded Solacom, so I would say like, uh, more than 90% of people, like first question is, uh, your wife is okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's called uh, wife broke <laughs> in Japan. But um, actually, my wife is uh, kind of uh, very supportive. You okay. know, if you want to do, just do it, right? So I'm, I'm kind of very appreciate. Oh, that is good. That's great to hear. Yeah. Another thing that I think is really exciting about Soracom is the fact that you're going global so quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's talk about global expansion for a minute. Right. Right. 
you launched in the U.S. in November of 2016. Right. How have things been going so far? Yeah, um, so we chose uh, AWS reInvent, which is the uh, yearly uh, developer conference of AWS. We chose that event intentionally <laughs> because, right. you know, I'm from uh, AWS. And that was uh, very successful. Uh, many, many uh, developers really like us because, you know, we are providing a cellular cloud convergence. So in the U.S., did you set up the same type of virtual network that you did here in Japan? This one is like, uh, you know, more advanced. Uh, we have a contract with the several telecom operators in the global. So the SIM card uh, in the U.S., uh, you can get the connectivity in more than 120 countries. So we do have uh, several contracts and several roaming settings. The SIM card can use AT&T cell tower and also T-Mobile cell tower. Well, that's, that's interesting. Do most of your customers that are building Internet of Things devices, are most of the use cases things that are operating in just one location? Or do you have mm -hmm. Internet of Things devices that are taking advantage mm -hmm. of this global coverage? Yeah, it depends on, on the customers. As you mentioned, most of the smart city type of the application, uh, they don't move, right? So that's one place, you know, they set up the devices and solutions and it's, you know, continue to be there. But uh, another type of the solutions, such as the automobile, like a very big, you know, car company, they usually make cars in several locations, but then uh, that send that to the another location. And right now, what they are doing is, you know, they contract with each telecom operator in one country and then switching those SIM card, right? But uh, if they use like a Solacom global version of SIM card, they can get you know, connectivity in any location. Uh, it's kind of, you know, decrease the heavy lifting work for them. Right, right, right. You just set that, you can install that SIM card once right. and you're fine. And like you said, you could manage it off uh -huh. on, the, uh -huh. on the net. Right. And also they can get same crowd convergence features like you know we have uh, several additional services which is you know address the security issue or you know data process issues so for example uh, we have like a Solacom canal that is allowed customers to make a you know private network very easily so globally mm -hmm. who's Soracom's biggest competition is it uh, Dora type networks are there other companies like Soracom out there Actually, if we look at exact competitor, I don't know any single company doing similar things uh, we are doing as a Solacom because, you know, we are only one company built all of the telecom core network on the AWS cloud and also uh, having, uh, you know, uh, additional layer of services like security and right. you know, application level. But I would say the current competitor shown is Wi-Fi and other type of, you know, networks because, you know, they don't know the merit of the uh, cellular technology. They think uh, cellular is too expensive, but uh, Solcom, we, you know, provide um, very flexible cellular with the minimum cost, right? Sure. And it's, like I said, it's about $3 a month if you leave it on all the time. Right, right. Actually, global version, we uh, decrease the price. It's, uh, it is now like $1.8. Per SIM card per month. So $1.80 per month if it's on full-time, mm -hmm. less if you switch it off when you're not using it. Yeah, uh, we have like, uh, some uh, condition for switching off though, but uh, that's right, yeah. 
what sounds like things have gone incredibly well mm-hmm. in the last last three months since your launch. Right, right. What's been the most surprising thing that's happened in the global mm-hmm. expansion? Or what's mm-hmm. the most important thing you learned from rolling out globally? Well, um, before rolling out global, I'm confident in terms of uh, technology. We uh, built our core network uh, in software, right? So we just need to copy those software to the another region of the AWS. There are some works, but uh, you know, uh, not technically difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you know, we can set up the contract with the telecom operator. Were there differences in the telecom operators on, on that part of the infrastructure mm-hmm. going global? Fortunately, you know, those uh, standard is uh, very following on the 3GPP and other you know standard industry standard. So. That was, uh, you know, good things. What I was afraid is, you know, uh, can we make really strong global team? Even we are the uh, small company from, uh, you know, far east country like Japan, <laughs> right? And uh, I was concerned about that part. But uh, we had like a really uh, good opportunity to meet the people in the global. Uh, they understood our value proposition very well, and then they joined us. I really excited to have you know uh, such a great people in our global team. So right now we have uh, uh, more than ten in the global. So where are your offices outside of Tokyo? In the U.S., Palo Alto, and Singapore, and Denmark, and also France, and you know kind of very diverse. Okay, so are most of these offices sales or in support offices? Mm-hmm. Are, is some of your development being done outside of Japan? Yeah, most of uh, you know, those uh, global offices are sales and marketing. But uh, yeah, some of the, our developers are located in global too. Soracom is one of the few Japanese companies mm-hmm. that has managed to raise a financing round mm-hmm. of more than 20 million. Right. What made that happen? Was it the global focus and the global opportunity that brought the investors in? Actually, the, in 2015 spring, uh, we did a Series A fundraising. It was like uh, 7 million USD. At that time, uh, we had a good uh, prototype. I think investors kind of like appreciate our team and also proprietary technologies and also the market size we are looking at. Those three things are very important for the series you know, A. And after we launched our services, uh, we quickly got uh, momentum in Japan. So uh, within three months, we got uh, more than 2,000 customer base, right? Wow. So then you know, we wanted to expand our business globally. At that time, uh, we got a series B fundraising, uh, which is a 2016 spring, and we raised like uh, 30 million USD. So that is, uh, you know, uh, we demonstrated our potential in, you know, global market. So the investors that were investing that amount of money, Mm -hmm. was a lot of the money targeted for a global expansion? I think so. Yeah? Yeah, because uh, we demonstrated our potential in the Japan market, and also our core competency is kind of like a software base. So uh, they thought uh, kind of, you know, it's not easy, but uh, it's uh, possible to bring 
uh, that solution to the you know global market. And will this round take you to profitability, or do you think you'll have more fundraising rounds in the future? Uh, it depends, right? It's uh, kind of like uh, now we are very lucky. We have a lot of options. Uh, we can choose, you know. We want to accelerate uh, very rapidly our global expansion. That is the case. Maybe we can do additional round. But uh, if we want to make profitable, then, you know, we uh, slow the pace. But uh, I want to see how it goes in the global market, and then we can choose, you know, the better option. That is a great situation to be in. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about um, the future of the Internet of Things. Mm -hmm. Because this is one area I think that globally Japan is going to be very strong in Internet of Things devices. There's so much cool stuff going on here. So in your opinion, because so many of your customers are Internet of Things companies, what are the most interesting and promising developments you see in the Internet of Things in Japan? In Japan, there are many companies who are good at hardware technology. So they are really good at you know, making cool, small uh, tangible stuff and also you know recently Japan it used to be a very people joined the large enterprise and then they don't left <laughs> for entire life right, but yeah. uh, recently changing right many many talented people are kind of leaving the big enterprise and then you know started their own company I saw many many you know great chances for those you know startups because you know they have a relationship with the, the enterprise company and also they have like a really good experiences networking and they are good at uh, hardware technology but uh, maybe one challenge is you know uh, most of those uh, companies are not good at uh, software technology so kind of like we need to bridge hardware centric company and you know software or service centric company uh, that's the reason we do uh, our a partner ecosystem program mm -hmm. called uh, Solarcom Partner Space. So we try to bridge those companies and, you know. A lot of people in Japan point to, for example, robotics, where Japan used to be far, far ahead of the rest of the world. Right. But over the last five or six years, mm -hmm. leading edge robotics has moved from hardware to software, and Japan now is trying to catch up. Right. So I guess, yeah, you're right. There is that software gap. So I think, uh, you know, uh, Shrakom is uh, kind of like located in the middle, like, you know, kind of like a device side and cloud side. And between that, we are the, in a good position to connect those people, not only connecting, you know, devices and cloud. We wanted to, you know, connect those people in the different world. Well, let, let's talk about that, because we, we've talked about a couple of real world applications of people using Soracom today. Right. But what is your, your vision? What is the ultimate best use of Soracom in the future? Mm -hmm. How do you see it connecting people? So we want to decrease the price of connectivity and then empower the developers. If they see Soracom and wow, this is great, and I want to make that, you know, which was uh, not impossible before, but you know, now which you know, kind of like a possible, right? Do you have any idea of what kind of, what kind of applications should be using Soracom that mm -hmm. aren't using it yet? I, I don't know. It's like <laughs> a, we are the platform, right. and you know, if we know that, I, I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair yeah. enough. Soracom is betting the future on mm -hmm. global growth. Mm -hmm. 
Many Japanese companies have a lot of pressure on them to go global early.、Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good strategy? What, what advice do you have for Japanese startup founders about going global? I think、um, it depends, right? So it depends on、uh, their product and solution. In our case, our co- core competency is you know, software on the cloud. So, it's easy to bring that solution to the global market. So, but、uh, that's a very different story when they do、uh, hardware product. So, I don't know the one answer, but、uh, in our cases, like, if we have that advantage, but we don't go global, we will be very difficult position because you know,、uh, other companies can do that. Right. I mean, they can expand globally. Then you know,、uh, we、uh, stick to the Japanese market. So I figured that you'll have to compete against these companies eventually. So it's better to compete now、mm-hmm. than wait for them to get stronger. Right, exactly. I think that makes a lot of sense.、Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you want to talk about? Well, so this is a bonus truck. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Bonus track. So, I think、um, there are several technologies you guys should start using, right? You will learn very quickly new things, and, you know,、uh, which is beyond you know, your imagination. Like, I, I would say like 20 years ago, if you want to try new things, like, you know, say, like an enterprise database, you cannot do that. You need to purchase. And sure, it's like very expensive. Yeah, it costs you over a million dollars to get that. Right. But、uh, right now,、uh, we have like, plenty of really good technology services, which is you know, provided SaaS base or the pay as you go base. I think、uh, it's very important to try to use those cool stuff. And then you will see serendipity merging the, your. Experiences and then those you know, new technologies. So the advice, the advice is to play. Right,、yeah. right. There is the only thing you, know, you can bring into the world. So that's you know, my bonus message. Okay, I like that. <laughs> well, listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you my magic wand question. And that is if I gave you a magic wand、mm-hmm. and I said you could change one thing about Japan,、mm-hmm. anything at all. The education system, the way people think about risk, the laws, anything at all to make it better for startups here in Japan.、Mm-hmm. What would you change?、Um, definitely education system. Yeah? Yeah. We have like,、uh, less software engineers compared with the US and China. So、uh, we should put more effort on the、uh, education side. So, what would, you, what would you change about it? Because Japan education is very strong with like, mathematics, and、mm-hmm. uh, it seems to provide a good base for software engineering.、Mm-hmm. I think、um, maybe the university education. So, we should have a more, how can I say, like a professional school for the you know, software engineering.、Uh, to teach more practical skills? Exactly. That's true. A lot of Japanese universities, even computer science, it's very abstract. Right, right. So I you know, worked on the、uh, Master of Software Engineering in the Carnegie Mellon, though, but、uh, most of activities are not based on the classroom, more like you know, project based. We had a real project we need to deliver by the due date for the you know, specific customer, which is you know, Google and you know, Bosch. Uh, that was like a kind of like a really you know, a great 
experience yeah. it for me. And Japanese universities aren't like that. Not not like that. Oh. It's like a 100%, you know, classroom type of the. <laughs> well, I have to admit, this is something I've always found frustrating and a little disappointing. So, I mean, I've been in Japan 25 years. Right. My whole career has been in software development and software sales. Mm-hmm. And I've had countless discussions and arguments and design sessions with Japanese programmers. Right. Right. I can discuss software development with Japanese engineers. Mm-hmm. But I cannot understand Japanese professors mm-hmm. speaking about software development. They use different words. Right. It's a different vocabulary. Right. So I think like a technical theory and discipline is uh, important. And also I think in that sense, like, uh, we are doing like, a great job in the university education. But the practical engineering, you know, how to build a large scale of you know, software, those things uh, we are missing. In the education. So you'd make a lot more real-world practical mm-hmm. experience at universities. Right, right. Excellent. Do you see that changing at all now? Well, actually, I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, there, there are some progress, of course. But uh, I need to check, you know, which is the light amount of change, you know, compared with the you know, other countries and the world. Any change in that direction is good, I suppose. <laughs> Right. Well, listen, Ken, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Tim. Startups are the lifeblood of an economy, and there are few who understand it better than Deloitte Tomatsu Venture Support. Deloitte TVS is the number one startup supporter in Japan, and they spur innovation here by connecting startups with larger companies and government entities. They work free of charge with these startups to help them with acceleration, PR, fundraising, and also finding the right corporate partners here. So far, Deloitte TVS has supported more than 3,000 startups in Japan. And now they have a global open innovation platform connecting startups and enterprises worldwide. It's a great way to connect with some of Japan's biggest players. So be sure to check out what Deloitte TVS has to offer. And we're back. You know... Soracom represents something important in the Japanese startup ecosystem. I mean, sure, they're getting a lot of attention because of the amount of money they've raised. But the funds are a result of what they are. Soracom is one of the very few Japanese startups that are truly a world leader in the technology they have and are aggressively expanding overseas. They have a very real shot of becoming a multi-billion dollar global player. There are no guarantees, of course. There's a lot of execution that needs to happen between here and there. But they're in the game. You know, Ken's thoughts on digitizing the world really resonated with me. It's not just a move from analog to the digital. Think records to CDs. But from the physical to the virtual. Think CDs and CD players into MP3s and computer software. Soracom is certainly not the only company providing inexpensive connectivity for IoT devices. But Soracom has virtualized their infrastructure. They don't need to invest in buying, developing, maintaining, and replacing hardware. And that gives Soracom an almost insurmountable edge over their global competition. We'll be hearing a lot more about Soracom in the years to come. 
If you've got some experience with IoT devices, Ken and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 079 and let us know what you think. And when you drop by the site, you'll find all the links and notes that Ken and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of this post. And you know, as much as I love podcasting, which is a lot, I mean, between Disrupting Japan's guests and our audience, I get to talk with some of the most innovative and creative people in Japan. But sometimes it starts to feel more like a broadcast than a conversation. So please feel free to connect on Facebook or Twitter. The address is Disrupting Japan, one word, in both cases. And I'm also trying something a little unusual for a podcast, a Disrupting Japan LinkedIn group, and one that is aggressively moderated to keep out the spam and focus only on innovation in Japan. So whatever your social media of choice, let's connect and let's talk. I look forward to hearing from you. But most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.